I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Welcome back, Spectres, to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I am here, as usual, with my good buddy, N7, the legend. N7, uh, are we heading out of the galaxy this week? Uh, yeah, we are. We're, you know, we've we've been talking a lot about Milky Way factions. Milky right? Way we- candy bars. Which are solid candy bars, uh, by the way. They're not liquid or gaseous. <laughs> wow. Well, there's, That's so there's stupid. <laughs> liquid and gas inside the Milky Way. <laughs> that those are stellar candy bars. Oh man, this, um, we're just this is this could just get really punny, and just, we're killing it. Oh god, this could go so many places. This is just going to link into. Okay, so we're let's. I'm pulling us way back. Okay, so this week we're talking about a topic that doesn't have to do with Mass Effect in the. Milky Way has to do with Mass Effect in the Andromeda Galaxy. So yeah, we're we're traveling. We are we're going 2.5 million light years away, uh, and we are shifting gears and multiple. Uh, gears. We're gonna be we're gonna be shifting gears for a couple weeks because there are multiple factions in Andromeda that we really should discuss. And, you know, I'm not sure what your experience level is like with Mass Effect Andromeda, but I'll be honest with all of our listeners, like I'm not that well versed in Mass Effect Andromeda. I've I've really only played through the game one full time in 2017, and now I'm playing through it again. Yeah, so not I'm so gonna, much. I'm gonna I, do my best. I, man, I, I started it up, I made my character, I got a little bit into it, I played about an hour, and then I just, I. I have such a hard time with everybody looking like middle schoolers. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I just can't take pe- the people talking to each other about very serious topics and then looking like middle schoolers. Seriously. It's just, it's really hard for me. It's, it's, you know, I think that's like, we've talked about it before, right? That's a byproduct of the frostbite engine versus the unreal engine that well, I think that and they the character designs, uh, MK 10 gamer. it says their heads are too big. Their heads are too big. And their skin is just like so clean. Like the characters, like you look at Shepard, like any of the default designs for any of the human characters in the original trilogy, even in the, even in the old games where the textures are lesser, uh, you know, lower res than the legendary edition. And they have natural, you know, flaws in their skins, which make them look aged. You know, they, they look like adult human beings who don't have perfectly clean skin because that's how humans look. Right. So it makes them look like people who are old enough to be dealing with these kinds of issues in the galaxy. But then you look at the characters and I don't want to talk about this too long because we have a whole episode to do, but you look at the characters in Andromeda and there's like, even their textures make them look like they have these perfectly clean faces. Like they just, you know, got out of recess in seventh grade. And I just, I don't know. I just have have such a hard time taking that conversation seriously about like, you know, Oh, we have to do something about this impending problem. And it's just like, Maybe and just finish your math homework first. There's a, and it's not just, you know, it's not just um, visual. There's a distinct difference in, in how the game feels. And we'll get into that a little bit later because it, 
actually part of that, I think, is due to the structure and the nature of specifically the Andromeda Initiative, who we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and so, yeah, I did want to before we got into that, I just wanted to give, you know, be totally honest with our listeners that, you know, disclaimer, I am not nearly as much of an expert when it comes to Andromeda lore as mm-hmm. I am with the original trilogy. So I'm going to try and fill the gaps in my knowledge in the coming weeks and months um, about Andromeda stuff, including reading the books. So disclaimer here, we're not going to address too much of the Andromeda series of novels because it's my loose plan that at some point in the future, we're going to do recaps of the external media like the books. And so maybe we'll talk about it then. Um, something similar to what you've been doing with the Witcher lore cast and the recaps of the, the episodes. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. That'd be cool. So maybe maybe through this discussion, you can convince me about how awesome some of these factions are and I'll get like super into it and they'll be like, okay, I'll just have to push past some of my complaints and just play through the game. And then maybe I'll just get it. So so teach me some stuff. Where, where are we starting? Sure. So the Andromeda Initiative, basic thing that we all need to know, it is the official organization or project responsible for sending all of these brave souls from the Milky Way, like taking people from nearly every sentient Milky Way species across dark space to the Andromeda galaxy. It's unlike a lot of things that we've found in the original trilogy in the Milky Way, this is truly a joint effort from the different species. It's not like, you know, there is definitely some divisions. There are some divides within the initiative uh, and the people who come over from the Milky Way. But this is, in my opinion, the largest, grandest, uh, most joint effort from the Milky Way, gal- Milky Way galaxy species, maybe with the exception of how you play through Mass Effect 3 and your decisions, but it's unlike anything we've seen. It's a different feeling right away because of that. Mass Effect 1 through 3 is defined by the interpersonal struggles among the species. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. Salarians not getting along with the Krogans, the Krogans holding that resentment against the Salarians. Um, and the so Tarians. much, so much of what we talk about in like every episode of this show has to do with that interplay. Right. And, and here's a goal where it's like the goal is not aimed against any one species. So it's it's a collaborative thing. Um, and that's a different feeling right away, right off the bat. So I think that might be one of the reasons why players feel differently about Andromeda than they do the OT. The OT is like, there's always a clear enemy, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a clear enemy in, in, in Andromeda, but it, it's more of, it, it's a, it's a spinning plate situation. Like, yes, there's the cat, but there's also the fact that the goal of the entire initiative is to colonize another galaxy. And this is marketed, you know, at the time in, in the Mass Effect universe, it's marketed to prospective members of the initiative candidates and, and recruits. Um, it's marketed as this types of manifest destiny kind of idea, yeah. you know, this brave new world sailing across the Atlantic, seeing this untouched land. You know what I mean? We've heard this all before. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The idea that like you could travel across to another galaxy and be like, oh, this is ours for the taking is a little bit, I don't know, naive, kind of like, oh, there's this other continent out there. It's ours for the taking. Presumptuous. Presumptuous. Sure. (laughs) At least. Right. Um, So, yeah. um, But it's it's the premise is filled with this propaganda like hope, I think is a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 
the initiative wants you, you know what I mean? And you're surrounded by that. As soon as you start Mass Effect Andromeda, there's tons of propaganda aboard the Ark Hyperion, which we'll talk about a little bit later and the Nexus. Um, but let's talk about like, you know, where did this idea, you know, come from the, the initiative scanned this cluster of 38 star systems in the Andromeda galaxy. This, the cluster being named the Helios cluster. And some of them, they were marked for potential as potentially habitable planets ahead of time. Um, we'll get into how they, how they decided that and how they marked those, but how did they even, you know, how did they even get there in the first place? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Also 2.5 million light years away. Right. Also, how would they know after that gap in time that they would still be habitable? huge questions right and thankfully the writers thought of that right and they addressed them although i do have some issues with their explanations because they're not exactly airtight but they they do the job so how do they get there because clearly no matter how quick you can make this trip unless it's like space magic wormhole stuff mm -hmm. no one's gonna live long enough i mean maybe the asari and krogan will but sure. most other species won't so they get there by storing around 100,000 colonists on arcs. There's six different arcs, usually separated by species. Some species share an arc. Um, we'll get more into the individual arcs when we talk again about the, the books of the Andromeda, uh, the Andromeda series of books later. But the, the arcs have cryopods on them. Mm -hmm. Cryostasis. Right, right. And we've seen course, this in right. a lot of other sci-fi literature. This happens, or in movies too. I mean, this happens in like the Aliens series. Right. Pretty much like I think like every major science fiction series where people travel long distances. Right. This is a pretty common answer to long distance travel. Yeah, they um, and, and so the cryopods are necessary because even with their special ODSY drive systems, the trip does still take 600 some years. So that's maybe, you know, long enough for an Asari or Krogan to live if they were not frozen but it's not that's that's way too long for for a human for a corian for an elcor um for really any anything um, volus. but for a volus certainly <laughs> um so they, they've been frozen and and like i mentioned there are these odsy drive systems that that enable this type of travel and the way that they work is they store static electricity that according to the lore would typically cause a starship to explode and they recapture this to power the arc's primary systems so it's like a recycling like a prius using its brake energy to repower the battery yes like a hyper efficient <laughs> prius and okay. although they don't look like priuses to be honest uh they, they, they look like citadels like so a it's citadel a space with, with prius that looks like a citadel Cool. Yes, it, and, and cool. it <laughs> they don't get made fun of. I, I would imagine they're not made fun of as much as as Prius drivers. <laughs> okay. Every Prius driver that listens to us is like, "Hey, hey, don't make fun of my Prius." I used to I used to drive a Prius, but oh. I got paid for my mileage, so it actually worked out for me to get paid to drive more because I didn't have to use gas as much. I got really good gas efficiency. Well, I, I know I, I actually know a couple of Prius drivers and they laugh to the bank at me, right? Because yeah. I'm spending way more on gas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but beyond Priuses and their amazing 
<laughs> drive systems. Uh, the ODS Y drive system has apparently something called an electromagnetic ram scoop that gathers hydrogen from the arc surroundings and converts it into fuel as needed. One of these days when we get when we get to talk to like a chemist or an astrophysicist or I don't know who would be the expert that like synthesizes rocket fuel. It's, it's got to be a chemistry thing. But yeah. 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 Astrochemist. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah. If, if we could talk to someone like that, I'd love to dive more into the science of that and, and how feasible it is. Yeah. Um, but but about the cryopods. This is an important topic because it, it comes up repeatedly throughout the entire Mass Effect Andromeda game, and it's constantly an issue with the initiative. Not everyone is woken up immediately when they get there. Um, and you have to remember that the people who were chosen for the initiative were chosen because of their expertise and likelihood to facilitate uh, a stabilization of a, of a colony. Um, so and not all of those people who actually make it on the arcs are woken up immediately because they can't because that wouldn't be sustainable. People use a lot less resources when they're frozen. <laughs> they don't eat. <laughs> right. Right. Um, they probably breathe so, a lot less. They probably do they, a lot less in general. They don't need to be protected, really. Um, I mean, life support systems need to have power, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So the goal is to secure the, the you know, as military folk would put it, secure the LZ before you land. Um, so secure the situation first. You plant your roots. And in the meantime, you wake up whoever is necessary to do so. Right. Um, so which is why in the beginning of Andromeda, we run in, we already run into the provisionary military and security folk, uh, among other people mm -hmm. and administrative uh, folk as well. Um, so this is a huge point of contention about the order in which people are woken up from cryo and who's woken up from cryo before others, because as you can imagine, some some of it is political. Yeah, a large part of it's political. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that's one of the other ways that they manage this. Um, and it's a huge point of contention because it's like, you know, on a personal level, it's like, hey, I want my family awake. You know what I mean? Right. Right. How come I they how come they get first pick of the, the land or how come they get woken up first in order to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Very easy to sow distrust of those in leadership if you're not happy with what's going on. Right. Um, and, you know, like the Oregon Trail, which we were just talking about Manifest Destiny mm -hmm. and all that, like the Oregon Trail, not everything goes peachy along the way. Uh, I Dis don't think that there's nearly as much dysentery. Yeah, I was going to ask, is, who dies of dysentery? Um, there, there's, a certain, there's certainly a uh, sizable population who perishes from disease aboard one of the arcs. Um, Again, one of the subjects of one of the books that we'll talk about a little bit later yeah. um, in, the, in this show, not in this episode, but in the show. And um, for one, one of the problems resorts from what you just talked about earlier. You asked 2.5 million light years away. How can they actually be sure that their scans are accurate? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, all of their scans, their preliminary scans at the very beginning of the initiative are very old news. 2.5 million years old, to be exact. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the planets that they see could be completely destroyed or uninhabitable or just maimed maybe by solar radiation. Who or, knows? Or have gone through some sort of total climate change by then. Or who knows? I mean, there's just 
there's so many things that can happen in two and a half million years. I mean, think think about think about could rise. Right. Think about the nature of our planet two and a half million years ago. Like if somebody had scanned our planet and saw our planet two and a half million years ago, they would have been like, oh, well, that's a planet and it's full of gigantic dinosaur species. Right. And and the temperature, the average temperature of the planet would have been a certain thing. The number of continents on the planet would have been totally different. Like very high oxygen content, very high oxygen, gigantic insects, like the nature of our planet two and a half million million years ago would be totally different than it is right now. And then all of a sudden more volcanic, much. Yeah. And then they would have been, but they also would have been like, okay, and there's no intelligent life there. They set out to colonize our planet. They show up and they go, oh, crap. There's like seven billion intelligent humans on the planet what <laughs> this wasn't here when we scanned it you know yeah, who, like who are these hairless primates right where did all these <laughs> monkeys come from <laughs> and why are they driving cars yeah why are they arguing about where did ball, the dinosaurs ball, go ball games yeah why are they trying to move this weird shaped egg into a end zone what's going on yeah uh like totally totally could have changed two and a half million years lots of things could be different Yes. Um, in t- the entirety of the Drell uh, homeworld of Rakana took place in a lo- like their entire arc of like rising from like reptilians and then into a sentient race and then depleting all of their country's resources and then being rescued by the Hanar. All of that happened in a f- in a in a shorter time frame. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's so it's a long so period yeah. of time. Um, lots of things could change, but. The Corians, some Corian explorers find this mass relay powered telescope. Really cool, right? Mass relay powered telescope that is made by the Geth and it gives the Milky Way or people, whoever would use it, a more current idea of what's going on in the Andromeda system. It's pointed at dark space, but it just so happens to gather data and images from from the uh, from Andromeda. And uh, that combined with Asari scientists' prediction models, Asari scientists who are working with the initiative, um, it it helps them really gather a level of confidence in the imagery that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this next part is taken directly from the Andromeda Initiative's Golden Worlds briefing that is given to some members of the initiative. And uh, quote this array, this this um, array, this this. Uh, mass relay powered telescope. This array was supposedly built from three mass relays using sensors in the combined relay corridor as a form of FTL telescope to observe dark space beyond the galactic rim. Why the Geth expanded so much effort to study dark space is not known. That last part is interesting, right? Hmm. Why would the Geth be studying dark space? Um, I know the writer who wrote that was like, I know why they're doing it, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let anyone else know why they're doing it. (laughs) I have a little secret, Um, (laughs) but it's 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 a little bit of a coincidence that the Geth, who were some of the first species to get in mass indoctrinated and then work as puppets for the Reapers, not all of them, but some of them, they know that the reapers come from dark space they know that the old machines come from dark space and now they're studying dark space right so regardless we'll we'll touch a little bit on the geth a little bit later but um as far as the initiative is concerned they're only guessing 600 some years behind now yeah i still don't understand how an ftl telescope works because you're not actually 
moving the photons closer to you i i don't think i understand either you know that doesn't make Um, any sense like if you can move yourself closer to the photons and see them sooner then that makes sense maybe it's distorting the mass of the photons to help them travel here faster from a distance yeah like you're sending something forward to the photon but this photon already doesn't have mass right it doesn't make very you're giving it negative mass like that doesn't that doesn't make any sense (laughs) like if you could take and remove the mass of a telescope of like a censoring object in order to send it forward in space and retrieve photons and then bring it back to you faster than the photons could travel then you can gather information faster than the photons get to you right but now you're talking like a wormhole situation yeah i i'm not sure i quite understand the science behind it (laughs) none of it makes sense and that it just you know the only thing the only thing that would make sense is if you could send like a small craft forward in order to see the like closer to the object in order to see the object sooner and but how would it get back but how would it get back i don't know I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, it, none of it, it still doesn't make sense. They're, they're not actually adequately answering the question here. Unless we're missing a key piece, and that's quite possible because, like, I, I had been researching this and I wanted to dive more into that specific part, but I didn't really have the, the time. Yeah, I think um, this, my guess is that this is just a, like, a hand-waving explanation. Oh, it's an yeah. FTL telescope. Sure. Okay. Don't, don't worry about it. It's it's fine. They figured out a way to see things Forget sooner. Like um, they could have just, you know, what they should have done is said, well, they were able to open wormholes that photons could go through, but not f- large objects. So therefore, we still have to move people, you know, through space six hundred years in order to get there. But we could glimpse photons sooner. Yeah, that would have been a solution. Like we can open like micro wormholes. I'm guessing that they would have to to bounce a signal through the wormhole. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So we could open a micro wormhole does. Right. We can open like a micro wormhole from our galaxy to their galaxy in order to like peer through it in order to see like, okay, now we're actually peering through it. and, And now the delay of that photon getting from their galaxy to our galaxy is minimized. The distance is now shortened. But actually being able to travel there we, we can't send a craft through the micro wormhole that's not going to work like that would have been right, an explanation well they could, but they wouldn't come back well but, I mean, but if the micro wormhole is like the size of a pinhead oh, then yeah you can't send a, a craft through it like the geth might be able to because like, i mean nanobots yes yeah right but you can't um, send a person through it is my point right right um um and I'm I'm very interested. It's not really specified as far as I know. But then again, I, I have read into the Andromeda books. But I, I'm very interested to know how the Corians got a hold of this because you have to understand that this is before. This is not post Mass Effect three that this happened. This is like pre Mass Effect one. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Corians and Geth are on good terms. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's they're, some. They're really not. Yeah, there's some weird like hand waving going on. The, the um, story but i think they left it open so that they could write or fill it in with writing later um but but the point is that they're guessing their their estimates are 600 years behind because it would take 600 years for their technology with the ods y drive systems to get there right and that's that's At, still fair but 
I mean, I, I get that part. Sure. Right. Um, so by the time they arrive, by the time the arcs with the hundreds of thousands of colonists actually arrive, turns out even in that 600 year time frame, things are still screwed. <laughs> like, right, right. They got there and now there's this dark energy storm, the scourge that has really screwed over all of the potentially habitable planets that they thought were golden worlds. And they're not golden worlds now. Now they're like hellish landscapes of crazy storms that screw up all electronics, which just so happens you need when you're traveling through space. Bummer, dude. Yeah. And um, so you were you were bringing up earlier, like how different of a feeling Andromeda was from mm -hmm. Mass Effect, the original trilogy. Right. And I personally think that a large part of this is due to the fact that we are no longer in a military atmosphere. This mm -hmm. is not a military governed structured setting. We're not with the Alliance. This is not the Alliance anymore. Um, this is a civilian organization and for all intents and purposes, a corporation, you know, yeah. it's a scientific expedition, but it's corporate. Sure. Sure. Um, so there is a distinct difference from the original trilogy in everything from, you know, like our aesthetics, like architecture down to the way people talk to one another. It's not so structured like, you know, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You know, right. it's not right. the military anymore. It's not. I'm trying to make a contemporary pop culture reference. I don't know if you ever watched The Last Ship. Mm -mm. No, it's not The Last Ship. It's 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 more like The Expanse. It's it's not. Um, right. Okay. I, I get where you're going. I get where you're going. It's not Star Trek. Right. Right. Yes. Right. It's not as formal and rigid. It's more of a hey, I'm going to go do this. Is that cool? Okay. Yeah. Rather right. than sir, permission to, you know. Right. Yes. Yeah. So. And, and this boils down even to workplace culture things, um, you know, like we just said, like, like how people are talking to one another, but also with priorities. So some within the initiative are pushing for a more civilian type expansion. And, and what does that look like? So what does a civilian expansion look like besides peacefully, quote unquote, annexing places? Well, director Tan of the initiative congratulates the player character Ryder on a peaceful first contact with the Angara. And Tan says, this is, you know, quote unquote, everything the initiative stands for. That sheds a lot of light as to how the director perceives the initiative and presumably how many of the director's subordinates perceive the initiative. The point is to make peaceful first contact with places, not dominate, not right. conquer. Right. According to Tan. Um, so it's, it's distinctly scientific. It's not like Shepard. It's not, you know, Shepard was not a scientist. Mm -mm. Shepard was a, a, a Marine, you know, plus minus biotic abilities, tech abilities. <laughs> sure. Um, and Shepard was a specter first and foremost, you know, so that doesn't mean that there aren't those who would rather seek domination and conquest and that kind of thing. And then in fact, that's a source of, of much divide and it's a rift within some factions in the initiative and people who break off from the initiative. We'll get into that a little bit more as we go through these factions from Andromeda. But beyond that the whole initiative isn't really equipped to fight a war. 
they're not outfitted like an alliance or Torian warship fleet. They're not meant for battle. <laughs> they were meant for scientific exploration, for keeping people alive. Um, it's like a passenger jet. It's not an F-16. Right. Yeah. Um, they have some defensive capabilities, right? Just like the Corian migrant fleet does, but they're really not an offensive capability. They're there for, for colonization and scientific progress. Um, so that brings into mind the cat. The cat are of course the, uh, the hostile alien species who is basically the Borg <laughs> assimilating everyone they come in contact with. Mm -hmm. Um, the cat proved to be hostile on first contact. It's not like you can really make friends with them. Uh, and <laughs> probably much to the initiative chagrin, uh, but it, it is what it is. And, and so the, the initiative doesn't have uh, this militaristic capability, which probably puts Ryder in a, a tough spot because Ryder, as we know, is no shepherd. Ryder, you know, Ryder's father, Alec Ryder, was an N7, but Ryder is not Shepherd. Ryder is not some ultra badass spec ops, uh, you know, soldier. So this is a totally different ball game. And and I gotta say, Ryder's demeanor does shows that. Ryder's demeanor completely shows that they are civilian, not military. Right, right. Um and uh, so regardless of the combat training that Ryder has gotten, um, but this brings up in my mind a question. Since the initiative is significantly less equipped to fight compared to something like the Alliance or the Turian hierarchy, would the cat even really be a problem for the Alliance? Like, I mean, I'm sure they'd be a problem, but is it anything the Alliance couldn't handle? Right. Like had a military, had this been a military expedition to a new galaxy and they had come equipped to deal with whatever you know hostile forces they encountered and had they had a commander on board somebody like a shepherd a certain commander a certain yeah. commander or anybody else like you know any i mean name another capable individual anderson. yeah and anderson uh, uh, you know anybody else in fact any anybody else that we can, that you could name that you would have picked for this mission that we come across and given them enough firepower and, you know, a fleet of ships or something, you know, like, yeah, give them enough tools to work with. I'm, I'm sure they right. could do a dent, but like, it just puts things in perspective for like, are the cat really that badass? I don't know. Um, so, but yeah, like the point is that everything feels more corporate. Everything right. feels so much more corporate. Like, I don't know about you, but I got such a strong corporate HR vibe mm -hmm. from all of Andromeda. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I used to work in corporate HR. Oh. So like, <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, I know the guts. <laughs> yeah, there's a little there's so with Shepard, there's always that like I'm it was never a, do I do it? Are people going to agree with me? It was more of a do it because I say so. It's the decision we go or no, we're staying. It's my call. Like mm. th that's the way the like Shepard put his foot down or her foot down and just made the call. And it was one way or the other. And it was authoritative. And, and if there was questioning, it was after 
the fact or it was before the decision had to be made, but it was in private and in a conversation with somebody who was to be trusted or somebody who was in the know and, and needed to be you know, brought in in order to gather more information about it. Like, what do you actually know about the situation? Tell me more about so and so. You know, like there's also just a huge bad. You know, we talk about big bads. Well, yeah. Reapers is a huge bad. <laughs> right, right, right. But it, but the 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 hemming and hawing about it was was more of a gathering of more information in order to make the call. You know, like like you've been out there. Tell me more about what actually happened in this situation. Like those kinds of conversations. And I feel like in in this game, there's more of a I don't know if we really should do it. What do you think? You know? scientific skeptical it's yeah. it's but it's yeah and it comes that comes and i'm all for scientific skeptical inquiry and like i think that that leads to better decisions than just putting your foot down and making you know just affirmative or negative like ugh, ugh, do it don't do it like that kind of thing like we should always be reanalyzing our decisions and, and making the better decision but in a leadership capacity the leader should again do that behind the scenes in closed doors in conversations but when those decisions have to be shared with other people they should still be authoritative like yeah the rest of the team should still know like it it, it should still be messaged in a way to the rest of the team like the leadership knows what they're doing <laughs> you know and Mark Mark Tin in here in chat um, brings up another great point because it it being the initiative because it had a profit line and quotas to meet mm-hmm. and that's that's a very good point the initiative was you know it, it, I don't think it was I don't think it was for profit as much as something like you know Apple or something like that was but it it was certainly a funded organization like it wasn't funded with taxpayer money this was funded primarily by a benefactor who we're going to talk about a little bit later um but it had investors to please yeah the initiative had investors to please certainly um so maybe that's part of why it feels more corporate it also feels more scientific like we noted mm-hmm. um so there is that level of uh, back and forth inquiry, especially with Tan and some of the more uh, like on the ground uh, teams like riders, which makes sense. And I'm going to make another uh, pop culture reference here. H- have you ever watched um, Silicon Valley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So maybe it's just because the voice of Tan is the voice of I, I can't remember his name, but one of the one of the housemates in Silicon oh, Valley. Is it? Is it? It's Kumail, I think is his name. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he was actually the voice of director Tan. And maybe that's just why I'm making this comparison and why that comes oh, to mind. Oh, it's, um, it's, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Najan, uh, is it really him? Not Nanjiani? Is that Yeah, yeah, name? yeah. Is that? Yes. He did the it. voice of yeah. him? Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Okay. I didn't know that. That's hilarious. Camille, yes. Camille Najan, Najalani. I can't say his last name, but yes, that, yeah. that's amazing. Okay, I didn't know we, that. We butchered this man's name. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was in the Marvel uh, uh, movie recently. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, um, so he, he did an amazing job. Um, yes, but yes. So the point is that a lot of it feels to me like Silicon Valley does. Mm-hmm. You know, that like quirky kind of like we're not sure back and forth type of mm-hmm. basically the opposite of authoritative. Right. Yeah, I get yeah. you. I get you. So, um, so we, we need to keep going, or this episode is going to be like a two-hour episode because there's so much to cover here. But um, specifically, how how did 
everything gets started. So Gian Garson was a was the person who founded the Andromeda Initiative. And really what we know about Gian Garson is that she was an eccentric billionaire. This is a this is a very common storytelling, you know, perspective. Oh, well, mm-hmm. this person had tons of money laying around and nothing better to do. Um, but we get the idea that Jen Garson actually cares about the advancement of, of Milky Way species and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, Garson apparently just decided, fuck it, let's go to another galaxy. And I'm simplifying things for right. comedic effect here uh, before, any, before anyone takes me. <laughs> let's just go to com- space. Completely serious. <laughs> this is um, the equivalent of I got a lot of money. And I want to go to space. But in yeah, the future. But in like a, a little bit of a more respectable way. Uh-huh. Um, it, this starts in 2176. For reference, 2176 is about seven years before the beginning of Mass Effect 1. Uh, so seven years before Shepard ever, you know, touches the beacon, is alerted of the Reapers and whatnot. And then, so this project starts, and of course, because it's such a massive project with six arcs sending people 2.5 million light years away, it takes a long time uh, to get it up and running, but not as long as you'd think, because they launch in 2185. 2185 is, of course, right after Sovereign attacks the Citadel and the Council learns of the Reapers. They don't publicly admit it, but they learn about the Reapers. This is important. Uh, this time frame thing is important, and we'll get to it a little bit after the mid-break. But um, I'm going to give a, a Reader's Digest of the, the timeline before Mass Effect Andromeda of the initiative. Garson runs out of money. This is an incredibly expensive project. So expensive. It's literally valued at the quintillions of credits by the end of everything. Um, so although Garson's a billionaire, all of her personal wealth does not even come close to covering the expenses. And then someone steps in to help out with funding it. And this person by reputation has bottomless pockets. We'll talk a little bit more on this later. There's a very key point that we're going to drill in after the midbreak. But even so, they get launched. Mysterious Benefactor contributes the funding necessary. They go to Andromeda. They arrive there. Shit's way more fucked up than they imagined it was going to be with the Scourge. Uh, and once they're there, though, even though they're scientific, uh, you know, expedition and they have these corporate feeling nuances to them, they function as the de facto government and military for Milky Way species in Andromeda because they don't have any contact with the Milky Way. They don't know what has happened in the 600 years since they left. Yeah, that's a very key aspect. They don't know. Right. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break. We've got to thank our patrons, and we'll be right back. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. And it's not, you don't like the sound of that. That's still not a good thing. All right, here we are in the middle of the of the show and we have to thank our patrons. Uh, no new patrons this week, but we get to thank our tier five shepherd patrons who the fool apollo 73 and pipe man thank you for supporting the show you get shout outs every week and a big thank you to all 44 of our patrons you guys are amazing thank you so much for supporting the show if we've helped you get through your work 
week, your workouts, your drive to work, or uh, getting addicted to a new video game and staying up till four o'clock in the morning while listening to podcasts like uh, Lost Ark, which I've been playing a lot, and I definitely didn't stay up till four o'clock in the morning playing recently, then check out patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast and all the different tiers where you can get ad-free episodes or join us on future episodes of the show or or play, uh, you know, uh, or, or get t-shirts play. I'm still playing video games in my brain. Or uh, you can get t-shirts, which people have been getting some of the the t-shirts. People have been signing up at tier four and they've been sharing pictures on our Discord and they look freaking awesome. And I'm still jealous that we can't get those t-shirts because I would like to wear them because I love my my video game t-shirts. But <sighs> Sam, I want a t-shirt. I want them to wear the same t-shirt that mark Muir gets to wear yeah yeah i know right i'm i'm jealous of mark Muir in in multiple ways and uh <laughs> <laughs> and that's definitely one of them well i was just thinking about it the other day that, that uh, one of the ways that one of the top ways i'm probably jealous of anyone who worked on the mass effect project <laughs> is because they got to go to parties with all of the mass effect cast there you know and everyone who worked on the games they mm. had like tons of bioware holiday parties but i i'm i'm ranting yeah yeah so enjoy them i'm so glad you guys are sharing the shirts and and everyone's saying that they they feel super comfy and nice and soft and stuff so that's awesome that's good to know too so um i'd love to see the pictures thank you for sharing those and uh if you want to check out the patreon we'd love to have your support it really does help us do this uh makes it part of my uh full-time thing and also uh sam being part-time thing and helps pay for you know ridiculous uh car stuff like sam having to pay 450 dollars or whatever whatever it was to change your yeah. your Jeez. state thing for your license or whatever and i don't know but it, it really does help so thank you and it does make this a uh, priority for us to make sure that we keep putting this out every week and i'm sorry for this being a day late but uh we had a uh an important valentine's day thing to get done to make sure that sam's girlfriend was happy and and taken out to a very fancy restaurant i hope that went really well dude yeah yeah we we so we were uh given a pretty hefty gift card by a family member of mine back on uh for christmas and we just never used it and so uh we went to a fancy restaurant that's and, awesome uh, yeah that's great that's that's super cool we went to beefo brady's and if you know what that is you know that it's not fancy but it definitely wasn't busy and it was fine um we also have a review from australia uh, this one is from Actria, who wrote in five stars. Great refresher and informer. I'm a massive lore nerd and my head is full of various game lore. Man, you, you totally found the right network of podcasts to plug into here. Uh, I thought I knew everything about this franchise, but they really dig into details in around approximately the 17th episode. So if you're looking for all the details don't worry about the first 16 episodes Just start at episode 17 love this podcast listen every week and it's great for beginners and veteran players well thank you ektreya uh for leaving that review and if you are if you're enjoying the show and you want to help us out then leaving a rating and review on apple podcasts or spotify is absolutely the best way to make sure that other people know that this is a good show and if you leave some words with it on the apple site then we'll we'll read it out on a future episode of the show uh and you know with the five star rating because that absolutely does help um but that's what we got for for those for this week and uh planet cards i heard i heard we had some requests for some uh for planet cards coming back 
Yeah, yeah. We have been um, witnessing a clamoring of of people who have really sorely missed the planet card segments. And with, you know, I, I got to be honest, that's uh, that mid segment was was 100 percent you know uh just like a funny idea that i had one day mm -hmm. and I, I guess people really liked it so that tickles tickles uh my heart and uh <laughs> and so we're gonna bring that back uh, starting now um and there's a planet card that i i just sent you a screenshot of yeah i'm pulling it up right now look at this baby and um yeah it's um this one so let's just read it we'll talk about how it's applicable later um, but this planet is called Klinkori. Uh, and the flavor text that's on the planet card uh, is as follows. Klinkori is a rock and ice planet with an atmosphere composed of chlorine and argon. The frozen surface is mainly composed of potassium with deposits of iron. Klinkori is famously claimed by the eccentric Volus billionaire Kumun Shoal. <laughs> he, claimed, he claims that a vision of a higher being told him to seek on Klinkori the, quote, lost crypts of beings of light. Ooh. These entities were supposedly created at the dawn of time to protect organic life from synthetic quote machine devils shoal has been excavating on clincory's toxic surface for two decades at great expense no government has valued the world enough to evict his small army of mercenaries <laughs> so that's the planet card that's what it says on the, the card itself and it's also canon that that at least one matriarch showed enough interest to get involved here and that was matriarch dilanaga because one, Matriarch Delanaga was arguably somehow either first or second degree involved with this expedition because we can find one of her writings when we survey this planet in Mass Effect 1. Uh, so I handpicked this planet for the planet cards for a reason. It is relevant to what we're going to talk about today, and we'll get to that uh, after this mid-break. Machine devils. All right, here we go. Let's go back to the rest of the show. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. All right, we're back. And Sam, you mentioned that the truth of the Andromeda initiative is darker than they publicly let on. What does that mean? Yes. Yeah, so it is. Um, basically, the, the Andromeda initiative, you know, like I said, the goal was scientific and whatnot. Um, and it is the truth is darker um the truth is out there uh the truth is dark darker there that was my attempt at the x-files theme song believe <laughs> well there's multiple ways that that basically we we learn through andromeda that the initiative wasn't all that it seemed at least to the people that it conned into recruiting because conned into wow all right and i i'm, I'm gonna say con because you know they were recruiting these highly qualified people but i'm not sure that all of these highly qualified people were really briefed on why the mission of the andromeda initiative changed after having been created it may have been created with this whimsical type of scientific discovery and and hopeful manifest destiny thing going on but at some point the project switched from more of a dreamy science project to a contingency plan mm. like like here's what we need to do to ensure 
all of the Milky Way's sentient species or most of them survive yeah. in case this huge, big thing happens. Um, the huge, big thing and, being reaping of the galaxy. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's heavily indicated. I mean, but the thing is like, how, how would the characters in the game know that at that time? Sure. Uh, Right. And that's exactly where this benefactor comes in. We find out from Alec Ryder's logs. Remember Alec Ryder is the father of the player character, uh, who is, um, who is Scott or Sarah Ryder by default. Um, and I, I see in chat here, Kyle Elizabeth asks, do you think they know that who the benefactor is or something they left open to figure out later? I'm guessing you mean the writers by they. I do think the writers have decided who it is. I think they've purposefully not told us because, and we'll get into that, the writers have not told us, but we find out from Alec Ryder's logs and memories that the player uh, can investigate that the initiative was actually meant to save the Milky Way's civilizations. And according to a secret recording by Jean Garson, the founder of the initiative, she was so she was running out of money and she needed somewhere to turn. Like I mentioned before, everything could go to hell. This random person, we don't even know the gender. We don't even know anything about their identity. Really, nothing right. Could be a group. Um, could be plural. I, I, I don't know. Um, but this mysterious benefactor stepped in to provide basically unlimited funding for the initiative. And they did it because they were apparently motivated by this really strongly held belief that there was this looming catastrophic threat. I'm imagining Al Gore saying catastrophic. Um, <laughs> Uh, catastrophic uh, threat to the galaxy. Some of our audience is like, Al who? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> they're too young. They're just like, I don't know. Who is that? Or or they're just from a different country and they don't know that, who Al that also, is. Also, yes, yes. Um, Former vice I president. Could, <laughs> totally Inventor of the see. internet. <laughs> I could see Al Gore being the mysterious benefactor. <laughs> Maybe, except I don't know that he has that much money, but... All right. I don't know. An inconvenient truth grossed a lot of. Uh, yeah, he grossed a lot of. He also didn't it. actually invent the internet, so no. He just it's likes not to, a series of pipes. He just likes to claim that he did. Uh, anyway, moving on. I feel bad for the vice president. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oosh. Uh, okay. Enough with these South Park references. <laughs> um, so, by 2183, which is the year when Mass Effect 1 happens, uh, even before the Sovereign Invasion, so this is important to note, before the Sovereign Invasion, the Benefactor believes that there is an impending threat to the galaxy. This is before the Reapers are really known mm-hmm. to be a threat. Mm-hmm. And, and even after the Sovereign Invasion, most of the galaxy does not know about the Reapers' existence. Right. It's kept very highly classified and under tabs by the council. And a lot of them don't even treat it as like a serious thing. Not publicly. Right. Um, So Shepard's reveal of the Reapers serves as vindication, at least somewhat to the benefactor. Uh, But everyone, everyone, it seems, including Jan Garson, including Alec Ryder, seems to question the benefactor's intentions. So this is interesting. They got this ultra wealthy person or group of people who are helping fund this initiative to save the galaxy's races, but they question their intentions. 
that's weird to me, right? Like, yeah, the goal is to colonize another galaxy, but in doing so, save the the galaxy civilizations because this benefactor believes there is this looming threat, but they question their intentions. Very like, specific fear there. Um, yeah. A specific fear that's not really explicitly stated. Uh, all we know is that more and more people start questioning this benefactor's intentions. Garson doubts the benefactor so much so that, and, and I'm going to try it. And this is spoilers, definitely, as most of this episode has been. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Garson doubts this benefactor so much and becomes so frightened about the bad intentions of the benefactor. We learn that she holds herself up in her own apartment on the Nexus, which is the governmental hub of the Andromeda Initiative, uh, in anticipation that she's going to be assassinated. The founder of the initiative assassinated, and she's right. She's killed. Um, we learn this because the player character can go into her apartment and find evidence that there was another person in there, which suggests, in my opinion, suggests, but does not prove that she was murdered by the person that was in there. Okay. But she was murdered. Right. She was murdered. And we know that the killer is long gone. Okay. So, so who, who is this mysterious benefactor? Like that that's the thing you know we never find out we right. never find out explicitly which 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 kills me as a journalist you know i've talked about the fact <laughs> that i'm a journalist right, right and you know these these unsolved mysteries but it kills me specifically because this is a like such a typical follow the money type of situation and i'm very when it comes to my own journalistic inspirations those types of follow the money white collar crimes that lead and and, and reveal larger scandals and conspiracies they're not just stories. Those have happened in real life, you know? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and so, so this kind of thing is like, you know, it, it, it makes me, it makes my journalistic glands salivate. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> we can't, we can't follow the money though, because this is make-believe and <laughs> because we are, you know, we are very strictly limited to what we're given in the narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is definitely the greatest mystery within the Andromeda Initiative. And I have a few ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's so go through the options. Cause, uh, cause you've got me thinking about these two and I, and I know you've yes. written these out. So I got some thoughts on it too, but go ahead. This is, I just want to preface this for anyone. This is not, this next part is not hard lore. This is speculation. So yes. we are speculating given what we know. Right. Um, this could be the, the Citadel uh, council. Uh, the benefactor could be the council mm -hmm. and well, they would have the money to do it. They'd have the resources. Yes, they would definitely have the money. Who's going to stop them if they're siphoning funds from someone else. They'd have the knowledge. They would have all the access to everything they would need. Right. Um, and maybe, maybe this is why they always seem really too busy to be bothered with Shepard or anything that Shepard's doing post Mass Effect 1. I know that they want the plausible deniability of a specter back from the dead now working with a known terrorist organization. <laughs> sure. They want the plausible deniability of that. I get that. Uh, but even so, I mean, like, they seemed far too like just preoccupied. What right. the hell were they doing on all of Mass Effect 2? Maybe, right, right. you know, 
helping with this. Right. And, th- um, and then there's the, always the question of like, if they genuinely didn't believe there was actually a way to defeat the Reapers, then why not pour all of your resources into a way to escape the Reapers? Yes, exactly. Um, and since they don't seem interested in fighting the Reapers, this would make sense. What doesn't make sense about this theory about the Citadel Council being the benefactor is the timeline. Um, we know that the benefactor came into contact with Jen Garson before the sovereign invasion mm-hmm. and already had this fear of the looming threat. So if it was one of the counselors, they didn't announce, they didn't like say this to Shepard. It would have been a secretly privately held belief. Um, yeah. which far be it from politicians to talk out both sides of their mouth. Oh but. yeah, right. Sure. That never happens. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but you know, this project would also be the highest level of clearance in the entire galaxy. Think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I have a hard time thinking that this kind of project would have no government help. Like no governments of the galaxy are are helping produce this, and it's like the most expensive project ever. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, hmm. so it would have the highest level of clearance, which would mean they would probably not even tell Shepard. Oh no, no Shepard wouldn't know. No. And especially given the later games with the urgency and intensity of the missions that Shepard's working on, mm-hmm. they would probably justify it by saying this would only, um, you know, complicate things for Shepard or distract him, so oh, sure. distract him, him or her, uh, right. Uh, Shepard wouldn't, would need their- to believe that there is no alternate option for humanity yeah Shepard oh, and, would and need to act real real yeah. quick you know I, I just caught myself using masculine pronouns for Shepard I, sure. I did say a while ago I, I try to use uh both or plural uh or not plural <laughs> plural shepherds <laughs> plural shepherds yeah. uh, uh, uh or or neutral pronouns so I'm going to try and keep doing that yeah. my apologies to anyone uh that was upset by that um but but on the line of, of clearance and not telling Shepard, he's not on a need to know basis. He's just not. They, they're not. Or she's need, just not. They're not on a need to know. None of the Shepherds are on a, on a, are on a near, <laughs> right. need to know basis. It's tough because you get a picture in your head. And typically what happens is I get a picture in my head of the artwork on like the cover of the game where you see the male Shepherd. Even though most of the time when I've played a playthrough, I've played a female Shepherd. And that's why I, I typically default to a male shepherd. Also, Mark Muir on the intro is a male voice. I think that's why I default to male, even though most of the on my playthroughs, I'm actually a female shepherd. Isn't yeah, the weird? marketing language early Mass Effect was certainly was more male know, bro shep. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's a weird like brains are hard. It's hard to unwire the things that get plugged into your brain. But no. anyway, we'll do our best to try to make it more neutral or or both. But anyway, yeah. so they they shepherd. Um, yes, we're not on a need to know basis. Right. Um, and especially not when they join Cerberus. I, and I'm saying join loosely because, you know, Shepard is working with Cerberus for Shepard's purpose, mm-hmm. uh, not for Cerberus's purpose. And that brings me to my next possible benefactor, mm-hmm. Cerberus. Yeah, this one came to mind for me too. And I know, I know you've got a list of possibility and reasons here. So. Yeah, and I think that they're probably the most likely. Uh, I think given the reasons that are in here and more, Cerberus is, is I th- and also within the fandoms, widely accepted to be the most likely person or group behind the benefactor status. Mm-hmm. 
one of my operative reasons was this benefactor approached Garson before Mass Effect 1, before the Reapers lead the invasion on the Citadel. And and already that that benefactor was scared of a looming threat to the to the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Before all of this, before even the very select few people knew of the Reapers. Right, right. And we do know that and Cerberus had some evidence of things. Already. They did. Right. Um, and they also already had a manifesto, specifically the Elusive Man had a manifesto, remember, anticipating an immediate threat to humanity. And that hence the naming of their organization, Cerberus, being the guard dog of the Karen Relay guarding humanity from everything outside the Karen relay so this kind of like you know i don't want to say paranoia uh but certainly like vigilance of uh looming widespread threats to the galaxy not out of the ballpark for the elusive man who's been saying it for decades at this point right right my Uh, my big question for cerberus is why not just fill the ship with humans they're so pro-humanity. Why open it up there to is other a human races? Arc. There is a human arc, but why why open it up to other races at all? Well, if you uh, some players might recall, and some people who are avid fans of the external media might recall that, um, you know, the uh, not all of the arcs had a good time getting there, and comparably, the human arc was rather unscathed. Mm-hmm. But but if it's primarily the idea and motivated by Cerberus why include other races at all like why make why make the not just make the humans arc better or make like but like why include other races at all why why open this up at all why not just make this a secret human thing and just save humanity and move them off to another galaxy you you get where I'm going Oh yeah, I, I I see that definitely, and and that's that's assuming that the elusive man has progressed to the point of the, of like that level of extreme xenophobia, but I also don't think that the elusive the elusive man might be xenophobic and racist, but and certainly human supremacist, but sure. he does use people. He's not above using people. For, so you think he to get to he a, needed to the cooperation of the other races in order to put together the entire thing. So he yes. he couldn't have just done it with only a human group. He needed help from the other yeah. the other races I, 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 the elusiveman also an incredibly incredibly wealthy uh you know benefactor to many different causes in the uh in the in the galaxy including the terra firma party on earth so he's got this quote-unquote unlimited funding he's rich enough to uh lead the lazarus project with which brings shepherd back yes they did say that it makes a dent in their budgets but i mean it was already incredibly expensive and that was done over a much shorter time frame. That was just what was that um, one year, two years that that was done over mm-hmm. Project Lazarus. Yeah. Whereas if we're talking about yearly income, it's much easier to spread out a large cost over many years like it was done with the Andromeda Initiative. Sure. Uh, so and this would have started before the, the Project Lazarus. Um, so it was possible, I think, in my mind that, that the elusive man could keep up operations as close to normal as possible while funding things like this because they have numerous different you know money laundering businesses and 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 sources of income Mm -hmm. and and also let's not forget not all of the elusive man's goals were like plain evil not like oh yeah 
Yeah, it just seems it like my question is why why be more benevolent than necessary unless there's something in in it for himself and and and, and i think your your answer is maybe he needed the cooperation of other races in order to achieve what he was achieving so for example cooperating with the other races in order to use the ftl telescope could be yeah. one of the answers or to get the technology to build the arcs or so he had he had to work out a deal in order to include the other races in the plan in order to make it work out for humanity so it was a okay i'll scratch your back you scratch mine and at least i'll get some humans saved so also there's also your some race as well there's some duality within the elusive man's own mind right i mean because he was battling indoctrination throughout the three games that we played in the original trilogy, but he was also battling subtle indoctrination for many years before that. Um, I'm not sure if many people know, but the elusive man had himself implanted with Reaper tech long before Mass Effect 1 happened. And as we know, indoctrination is a long-term subtle process. And the longer term, the more subtle it is, the more effective it is at using your thrall. Your thrall remains more capable. The elusive man, if anything, was definitely capable. Um, and if we're thinking about it, while there may have been a benevolent intention at first, which is what Garson and Ryder and several other sources seem to think about the benefactor, that at first it was a honorable intention, honorable goal, it changed. The change is what I'm interested in mm -hmm. because we see that same change within the elusive man. He seems to be, at least in Mass Effect 1, like, I think most players would say he seems to be extreme, certainly racist, but not like a completely evil you know per, like he's right. he, at least he's interested in saving humans not chaotic <laughs> and terrible he has some, he at least has some redeeming qualities right yes. right um so there's that as well um and he was for the advancement and preservation of humanity but like i said his intentions begin to be doubted by more and more people around him in mass throughout the original trilogy his intentions become doubted by more and more people around him as the games go on and the breaking point for many coming in is around timeline wise you guessed it 2185 mm. right after mm. the arcs launch that's when the breaking point is for miranda that's when the breaking point is for many people within cerberus it's also when shepherd kind of exposes the elusive man for being just evil and terroristic you know so starts off with honorable intentions in his own life has this kind of apocalypse now type of uh, origin story and but he's actually indoctrinated like we said so there's another reason that i think it could be cerberus um and then we also know that the hyperion was the arc hyperion like i said comparatively relatively untouched interesting to note there mm -hmm. and Here's another really interesting point. Alec Ryder, the N7, who is who was the human pathfinder before before dying uh, early in Andromeda. The benefactor was key in, in getting Alec Ryder onto that project, getting Alec Ryder to enlist. Alec Ryder had been discharged dishonorably from the Alliance. So left on bad terms from the Alliance because, wait for it, Ryder was working on AI research to advance humanity. 
That sounds like a patsy for the elusive man. I mean, I'm I'm being very harsh on Alec Ryder right now. Don't <laughs> like I'm being yeah. very harsh. But Alec Ryder wasn't exactly like he didn't have a sterling reputation in the alliance. If someone got dishonorably discharged from the alliance because they were working on AI and integrating it into human and in, into humanity to advance humanity, that sounds like a dude that the elusive man might be interested in in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and someone that the elusive man if they were if he was a benefactor of the initiative someone that he would want as a major player there's also another one cora harper is a character in andromeda we never forget that she trained with the asari commandos right right (laughs) that brings to mind how the hell would cora harper actually have the in with the asari commandos unless she was from a very powerful and influential family just so happens the elusive man's real name is jack harper right right how many people do we know with the last name harper in mass effect (laughs) and are we willing to admit that that's a coincidence yeah yeah no that seems intentional But is it intentional because he's behind the project or is it intentional because he was still connected to the project in another way? If he was believing in the project, if he was pouring all these funds into the project and he was doing it for the preservation of, among other species, humanity, you would think he'd want his bloodline to continue, right? Right, right. Yeah. So he would use it in and be like, you know, right. you're getting in there. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it could be more complicated than that. Maybe he just got tied into the project later on. Maybe he wasn't the sole benefactor behind it. Maybe he true. was part of a group of benefactors. Maybe that's it's part of why it's multi, multi-race. Quite, quite possible. Um, and, and speaking of individual versus group, another idea that I had was what if it was the shadow broker? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm then of course no one would know the identity of the benefactor because no one knows the identity of the shadow broker right right but not liara Uh, specifically right not liara because that timeline wouldn't make sense you know um that timeline indicates that the shadow broker was involved with the project long before 2185 um so that would mean that liara could not have been the shadow broker at that time right because it would have um, started before she right took over the role could have been the yog yeah. <laughs> the yog yeah. the shadow broker that, uh, that else, seems odd have quintillions of credits but that seems odd though like what why would the yog care enough yeah right i mean i mean the yog is hyper intelligent right and at this point, we also know that during Mass Effect 2 or shortly, like d- during that two year gap where Shepard is dead, the Shadow Broker is well aware of the Reaper's existence, I think, not just because of their far reaching um, uh, influence and, and intel and whatnot, but also because the Shadow Broker was apparently making deals with the collectors. Mm-hmm. So the Shadow Broker would be definitely well aware enough to know of an impending threat. Yeah. Um, and it would probably be in the shadow broker's interest to try to get on one of the arcs but what if it's possible that liara prevented that from happening oh uh, yeah there's, I, there is that i mean i guess that would be the only real reason for doing it was to get out himself yeah as um, his own escape plan yeah although that that makes sense although the timeline wouldn't make sense they would have to retcon some things for that timeline to to add up um 
And in terms of connections, the shadow broker certainly involved was certainly involved in AI research. AI research was like a hot topic, definitely illegal by council standards, yet shadow broker very involved in that and could have contacted Alec Ryder that way. Mm -hmm. Enlist, helping to enlist Alec Ryder, this dishonorably discharged person from the Alliance who was an attache to the Citadel. Uh, so everyone questions the benefactor's intentions. Yeah. Does the does the shadow broker ever seem not sketchy? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, there's that. And then, um, you know, uh, this is perhaps one of my favorite ideas and the sole reason why I brought up this planet card today. Uh-huh. Uh, Kumun Shoal, that eccentric Volus billionaire that we mentioned in the planet card. Uh-huh. What if he was the benefactor? <laughs> the lost crypts of beings of light. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, um, <laughs> he was told by a higher being about these lost crypts of beings of light. And that sounds pretty funny to us. But man, what if that was a long play with writing by Bioware? Because this lost crypts of beings of light sounds a lot like the remnant, many of the remnant and Jardon settings that we players find ourselves in in Andromeda. So, like, somehow he got info that, like, those lost crypts of beings of light are now in another galaxy. Yeah. Like, yeah, why not? Sorry, the princess is in another castle. It's 600 years away. <laughs> Go over here now. <laughs> I'm diverting all of my credits. <laughs> yeah. Um,. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but not really. <laughs> like, I don't think it's actually Kamun Shoal, but there is evidence there to suggest that it could be Kamun Shoal. Um, and then lastly, this would be really interesting, especially with the teasers that have been put out about Ma about the next Mass Effect game. Clearly, we know the Geth are going to play a large role in the next Mass Effect game. We don't know how, but what if it were the, what if it was actually the Geth? who served as benefactor uh-huh because it was their telescopes remember it was right. their mass relay telescope array that actually could see into andromeda and they were studying dark space right which would mean that they may have known about the reapers earlier than we think they did which we already knew that they knew about the reapers well before the rest of the galaxy because half of their population maybe not half but a large section of their population the heretics were already enthralled by the old machines not all of them agreed with the old machines but they reckon about every one of the geth recognized the old machines power and they recognized their existence prior to 2183 when they invaded mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so all of them knew about the reapers not all of them agreed they had a mass relay telescope array they also need minimal life support to make this journey because they are synthetics and they have some of the most advanced tech in the milky way we know this from several sources including the council itself the the, the iffy part comes to the money do geth really have need for money I think so because they're constantly building, so they need to acquire resources somehow. Right. Um, maybe you know, they, writers could explain this very easily. They they could just say something along the lines of, "Well, the Geth wrote an AI program that was very efficient at siphoning credits from every extranet transaction without detection." Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. 
Right. They're cleaning up the fractions of every little, you know, extra half cent. Yeah. Yeah. Like office space. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's not stealing. Right. Um, Yeah. But again, what's in it for them for helping out all the other races? Uh, You know, I don't think that the Geth, especially if, if we're not, if it's this, if it's the faction of the Geth who are not, who are not the heretics who are not enthralled by the old machines. If it's right. not them, right. I don't think that they are malevolent and it, they, they were not interested. Remember they specifically were not interested in extinguishing the Quarians. If right. they were, they could have. Right. But what makes them benevolent rather than just neutral? I'm not sure that the Geth would consider ensuring survival of other species to be benevolent. You think that they would just see that as just the, like what they should do and they would just do it. Yes. Because I remember we, we, we gained this idea that the Geth part of their ultimate, uh, evolutionary goal is to understand organics more. Can't understand organics if they're if all they dead. don't exist. Okay. So that, again, that, that, that plays into what's in it for them. Right. Right. So if they, they need the other races to stick around, if they're going to then continue studying them. So therefore, they need to ensure that they stick around. So yes, yeah, yes. Well, so okay, and they'd also be the Geth would interest be interested in Alec Ryder recruiting Alec Ryder, and like we said, the benefactor was very interested in recruiting Alec Ryder. Um, they would be interested in Alec Ryder's fascination with AI, specifically integrating it within an, an organic conscience. That mm-hmm. is something the Geth would be very interested in. Right. Right. Oh, this human was discharged from the military because they were working on AI. And this human is also very interested in integrating an AI within a human's own brain. Yeah. This synthesis is like the pinnacle of evolution as perceived by the Geth. Right. Right. And other synthetics. Right. So they would see somebody who knows a lot about that or studying that as maybe visionary, a visionary, a prophet, a yeah. Yep. And and it would make sense why garson why the rider would grow uh skeptical of the geth's intentions after the sovereign invasion right mm-hmm. because they just saw a bunch of geth invade the citadel right right interesting well i I'm, again you could see why maybe multiple groups working together could also be viable here yes like cerberus yeah. working with the geth could be a very legitimate connection at least at least initially and then maybe even bringing in some other some other groups um i would love to hear what our what our listeners think i would love to hear see some conversation around this on the discord because yeah there might even be a a combination or another group that we haven't even thought about um that could definitely really really work this together in, in a way that really combines it in a very interesting kind of solution um, you know, before we wrap up here, I had a few fun facts that tie in and I'm just going to rattle through yeah, yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, let's do it. I got into this Wikipedia rabbit hole Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was looking through this because I noticed, you know, like Andromeda and then there's the Helios cluster, there's uh-huh. the Hyperion, there's all these names that have Greek mythological parallels. And there's all these Greek mythological parallels in the in the original trilogy, right? Uh, Charon, Cerberus, etc. Um, 
Well, there's the obvious one with Andromeda, which is the Helios cluster. Well, Helios was the son of Andromeda and Perseus in Greek and Greek mythology. There's also, like I mentioned, the Hyperion. Hyperion in Greek mythology was a Titan and, and was also the child of Gaia and personified the sun. Right. So Hyperion literally translates to he that walks on high or the one above a fitting name for the human arc. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's also uh, interesting that uh, the Hyperion has a connection to Homer's Odyssey. Hyperion being the Greek mythological character has a connection to Homer's Odyssey mm -hmm. and also the name of uh, John Keats epic poem, an abandoned one at that. There's also Eos, the first planet that we land on in Andromeda. Eos was a child of the Titan Hyperion. Uh -huh. So these could all be just things that like some of the Andromeda writers of the game were just fans of Greek mythology. Maybe. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. the, it, it could also be take that, the Hyperion to Eos, which becomes the child of the Hyperion. Sure. Also, who's naming these things in universe? In universe, they could be fans of Greek mythology. Mm hmm. Um, so lots of Greek naming here, but we also know one big influential guy inside the Mass Effect universe who is a huge fan of Greek mythology, named his entire organization after it, actually. That would be the Elusive Man. Yeah, that's true. If the Elusive Man was diverting so many credits to this thing, don't you think he'd want naming rights? Naming rights, yeah, 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 yeah. Cerberus, yeah. So, the Andromeda Initiative also named some systems after noteworthy explorers from the Milky Way's own history. This is just something interesting. It doesn't really tie into the, to Cerberus at all. Um, but Leif Erikson, Viking explorer, right? Uh -huh. There's a system named Erikson. Uh -huh. Same spelling, has to be a reference. Uh, there's also Kendrax. Kendrax was the first Turian aeronaut. Aeronaut is uh, someone traveling in, in, in the air and space to cross one of Palavin's oceans in a hot air balloon. <laughs> that's some, that's some, <laughs> that's some like, <laughs> detailed lore right there. Oh, very detailed. There's yeah. also one for the Batarians. Mm -hmm. Dar, Dar Higa was the first Batarian astronaut. Nice. And Dar Higa is the name of his system. Nice. Uh, so, and there's a few others like Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer was named after an Austrian uh, traveler, Ida Laura Pfeiffer, and Pythias, uh, named for a Greek explorer, Pythias of Massalia. Uh -huh. And uh, there was also, of course, the famous Chinese explorer and general, Zheng He. So uh -huh. Zheng He is a system that is named, I think Zheng He is actually a system named both in Andromeda and the original trilogy. I might be wrong about that. I know it's in Andromeda. I kind of iffy on if it's in the original trilogy too. Hmm. But yeah, some cool naming conventions going on in Andromeda that way, which arguably named in universe by the initiative. Very cool. That's some very cool info. Um, uh, two girls asked in chat, did the Batarians ever get onto one of the arcs? Uh, you know, I that's a great question. And if they do, I don't remember that from the games. If they do, it's referenced from the external media. But given what we do know of the Batarians, I don't think that they would be interested in cooperating with with some large project like this. Yeah. And I also don't think the rest of the Milky Way galaxy like races would be wanting to bring them on board. <laughs> Because they're they're a dictatorship with terroristic tendencies. Yeah, those guys. Nah, we'll just leave them. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck with the Reapers. Every time you say the Reaper, I just imagine the cowbell skit. <laughs> 
needs yeah, needs more cowbell. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun episode. Uh, you got anything else going on you want to share before we head out? Oh, and uh, what are we doing? What are we doing next week? By the way. Oh, next week we're going to be covering some more of Andromeda's factions. There's a whole slew of them. I'm going to try and compile the factions and see, you know, if they deserve individual episodes if there's not too much to talk about but one of them is the rokar uh the uh, i believe that's the angaran faction who isn't really big fans of the initiative at first so uh, we are going to be talking about that as we go forward some more andromeda stuff nice well you keep keep chugging away with this stuff i mean you're slowly whittling away my resistance to playing through the game i think i might be able to like deal with my whole you know the eye issue of looking Good. at a bunch of middle schoolers um, but I mean the gameplay was fun like don't get me wrong there were some definitely some good qualities to the game I just the middle schools are arguing about stuff is just a little bit tough and, and I'm addicted right now to Lost Ark so I'm gonna have to get yeah. through that <sighs> have you tried that yet have I have I, you know I haven't tried it yet it looks the gameplay looks very Japanese to me and it's like um, Diablo 3 like the oh, fighting okay. feels like more visceral Diablo three, but couched in an MMO. But the MMO is very slick. Like instead of like go collect 17 of these things and bring it back, like you do like the thing once and it's like, cool, you finish the side quest and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> like it like stuff gets done really quickly. So it's very streamlined, even though there's lots of systems, the systems don't really f- come into play until like the end game. So you can actually streamline through the story really fast. Well, maybe I'll check that out. I got some more space on my uh, on my SSD now that I've finished. I just finished Cyberpunk. Yeah, I heard. I heard. Finished my first playthrough after 120 hours. I I I was completionist. I burnt the hell out of that playthrough. Um, but yeah, yeah, like like I like I mentioned. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing some other games. Of course, Mass Effect, I'm streaming Mass Effect, like I've said in, in previous weeks, streaming Mass Effect every Saturday, Sassy Shepard Saturdays. Sassy still going Shepherd. on, Still going strong. And uh, I'm streaming miscellaneous, miscellaneous Mondays. Sometimes that is Andromeda. I'm also adding a third stream of the week, Ooh. Uh, adding a third stream for uh, Throwback Thursdays or retro Thursdays, you know, just games that are probably 15 to 20 years old, like Morrowind. I've heard a few people say, Hey, you know, you should stream some of those. That's a, that's a tough one to get going on. It's, it's brutal. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask for some tips from, from, uh, Lotus. Yeah. Talk to Lotus, uh, Aaron Mathias. Uh, those are two guys on the network you can talk with. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, some other people in in our discord, I'm sure we'll have tips for you. Um, that's a, that's a tough one. If you get into lost Ark, let me know. Um, I'm we I've connected with another streamer friend of mine who has a community of people who are playing. So there, I, I know a lot of people who are now playing if we want to get into group dungeons and stuff. So there's a community that we can gr- group our community with. So if anybody else out there wants to join us, um, I can recommend what server to join if you want to play. Um, so let me know if there's something you want to do. Um, uh, that's what I'll be playing mostly in my free time in my non streaming time. So I've got that going on. Um, there's a big announcement tomorrow uh, as of the day we're recording this as a Monday night on the 15th. So on the 16th at 10 a.m. Eastern, which for you is like, what, 7 a.m. Pacific um, CD Project Red is having a stream where they're going to make some sort of announcement about Cyberpunk. So I'm thinking that's probably the next gen release stuff updates 
for uh, Cyberpunk 2077. So I'll be talking about maybe the, more features, maybe more features. I don't know. So I'm I'll probably be talking about on, that on the podcast this week for Cyberpunk, the Cyberpunk Lorecast. Um, my main game streams are on Tuesday and Wednesday night. Tuesday night, I've been streaming Skyrim with my mom where she gets to make all the gameplay decisions. And it's been hilarious. She just met the Greybeards, um, the old men. She calls them the old guys who live on top of the mountain. And um I've been streaming a role play of New Vegas, which is like a 10 luck build. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Yeah, it's all luck and like very little anything else. And I just throw explosives because you run into the the um, uh, the the guys with the dynamite in the beginning. Powder gangers. Powder gangers. Yeah. And uh, so I've just been like throwing explosives at everybody with the 10 luck. Um, that's yeah. been that's been a lot of fun. <laughs> so I've been doing that on on Wednesdays, and then most of the other shows uh, happen during the other times during the week. That's so awesome. lots of streams during the evenings if you'd like to come hang out with me. And uh, of course, there's all the and you're other streaming shows. on YouTube primarily now. I'm streaming so. on a multi-stream on everything. So like this show and all the other shows, everything I do when I stream shows up on the Robots Radio channels. And so there's a channel on YouTube, channel on Twitch, even on Facebook. Every, it streams everywhere. So if you search. Robots Radio on whatever your favorite streaming platform is, it'll you'll find it. So, yeah, easy. And I am of course at N Seven Legend on Twitch and Twitter. Um, Times for my streams are pretty universally like six to nine Eastern on those Saturdays, Mondays, Thursdays. Probably going to be a a bit later, like an hour or two later. But yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, chat. Thanks for being here, Uh, listeners at home or wherever you are. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again next week at our normal time on Sunday. And um, here, let's look at the schedule real quick. Uh, next week is the 20th, and then the 27th is the last Sunday of the month. So that'll be our pa- patron chat in just two weeks. So you've, if you haven't signed up yet and you'd like to join us for our patron chat, and we'll be uh, figuring out what we're talking about with our community. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that over the next two weeks uh, very soon. That usually starts right about now where people kind of throw out some ideas. So um, join us on our Discord, the Robots Radio Discord, to talk about all that stuff. And tell us your thoughts on this episode and what you guys think is actually going on. We'd love to hear it. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Until then, stay safe on your journey to Andromeda. If that's where you're going. See you guys later. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com.